See, there's something about the human being. We're made in God's image, and that means we are creative. And people seek all kinds of ways to respond when their conditions change. And one of the things that we can do as a church is to help these people make responses as their conditions change. When I studied the economics of national, national and international development, which is quite a long time ago now, one of the things we used to be taught is that people are poor because they're poor. And that's actually a truism. If you can break the cycle, Jeanette mentioned a microfinance institution established by the Ignite Life Churches there in Uganda, providing very small loans. That can help break the cycle of poverty. And there's actually an, an organisation in Australia that does this in, most, in many poor countries of the world. And um, they've made a difference in over 2 million lives just by providing small amounts of, of finance. That's what we call microfinance. So look, people are resourceful. People are committed to working hard. That's not what causes poverty in many, many countries. As you know, Uganda has had a long experience of political and social instability. Some of you might have heard of Idi Amin. And uh, because Uganda is made up of so many different tribes, it often goes through periods of significant unrest. And uh, one of the things that the so-called Western nations have had that many others haven't is actually political stability, right? We, we in Australia, we're a stable democracy and that enables business to flourish and it's business that creates wealth and then that ends up uh, being distributed throughout the community. It's much more difficult in countries where they don't have a long history of political stability. I just want to speak a little bit about uh, Uganda. There's a map of Uganda there. It's a landlocked country, so it doesn't have access to any seaports that it owns itself. So if, it, if, it's, if Uganda is going to export produce, it'll have to do it either by air or by getting it through another country to a port. You can see it's surrounded by the Democratic Republic of the Con Congo, um, Kenya, Tanzania, Rwanda and South, South Sudan. And many of those countries have experienced a good deal of political and economic and social instability as well. Jeanette mentioned uh, Sudan. Uh, there was a civil war in Sudan not so long ago. North Sudan and South Sudan eventually became two separate nations and the uh, refugee camps where Ignite Life has been ministering are up there on the border between Uganda and South Sudan. The, the redder parts on that map, they show where most of the population is concentrated. There's about uh, 43 and a half million people living in Uganda. The size of Uganda is a little bit bigger than Victoria. So imagine 43 and a half million people living in Victoria. That roughly gives you a bit of an idea. Most of the population uh, is concentrated around Lake Victoria. That's the bigger lake down towards the bottom. And Lake Albert, 
which is a little bit further up, up, up the diagram, a little bit further north from Lake Victoria. Obviously, they live near the lake because there are fish in the lake. So there's a source of food in the lakes. There's a little bit of irrigation, not much of the land is, is irrigated. About 84% of the population are Christian. And the, the next largest uh, religion is um, Islam. And as Jeanette mentioned, Gweri, the village just outside Kampala, where the Ignite Life Church focuses most of its work, is a Muslim village. So most of the children going to the school are actually Muslim children. The average income in uh, Uganda is the equivalent of about 3,300 Australian dollars per person per year. Uh, technically, it's expressed in what we call purchasing power parity terms, and really what that means is if we set up a bundle of goods that people normally purchase, we standardise that across every country in the world, then compared to Australia's standard, these people are living on about $3,300 a year. Pretty, pretty, pretty um, insignificant when you compare it with, with Australia, where the average wage, for example, is about $80,000 a year. So the average person in Uganda doesn't live at anything like the same level as we do. Sorry, um, Ace is trying to tell me something. I cannot lip read. I haven't got a night. Sorry? Oh, yeah, look. I'm waiting. Uh, no, it should have come. Sorry. Yeah, it, it just have to understand. My family have permission to just interrupt. <laughs> but I can't lip read. And Ace has been standing up there going, I haven't got a clue what she's saying. <laughs> and uh, we don't have the luxury yet of, of having someone like an MC who can make sure I behave myself all the time. <laughs> anyway, all these things are coming in due course, aren't they? So I do apologise to mums and dads who have been wondering when we're going to release the children. Um, anyway, praise the Lord, that's all great. So that's, that's uh, a little bit about uh, Uganda. They have a reasonably democratic political system, by the way. They do have elections. The, um, the president, however, they have a president who's both head of state and head of government. So there's a lot of power vested in the one person. And fairly recently, uh, the government changed the constitution to allow the president effectively to be president for life, to be re-elected time after time after time. I don't think that's a good sign. It's never a good sign when somebody decides they want to be president forever. Um, but that's just the way it is. Anyway, um, the, uh, the people over there really do hold Ignite Life Church in very high regard. Pastor Keith, whom some of you will have met when he's been up here, is referred to as the bishop. And uh, this was a sign which was outside the village on one of his recent visits, pre-COVID, of course. Ignite Life Church and Ignite Life School with great love and joy. 
welcomes our dear Bishop, that's Pastor Keith, to Uganda, Gweri Village. So our leaders are held in very high esteem there. Praise the Lord for that. Now I just want to show you one little example of what our help does. This is a little girl whose name is Mary. She has cerebral palsy and as a result she's not very mobile. Some funds were provided to enable the family to buy a special chair. It just looks like a high chair really but it's specially designed so that she can actually sit up. Now there are two benefits of that. One is she can actually see what's going on around her. That'll help in her cognitive development because she'll be able to interact with other people. But importantly also, because she can now sit up straight as it were, that will actually make room inside for her organs to develop. So such a small thing can make a huge difference to somebody's life. And you know, we're actually called to care for those who are poor and sick, orphans and sojourners or foreigners, even if they're not amongst us, we're called to care for them. And uh, that's just one example. There are many, many examples of this kind of thing. It doesn't take a lot to make a difference. And uh, a little later on, we will have an opportunity to make a special offering to the Missions Fund of Ignite Life Church. Uh, and Jeanette has mentioned a lot of the other ministries that are, that are going on. Uh, we were planning to go to Uganda this year, but it didn't happen, obviously, and goodness knows when it will happen, happen now, because it may be some time yet before international travel is uh, restored. I've got uh, about $1,400 in airfares that I can't use that I purchased to go to a conference last year, and uh, the conference has been cancelled twice. Um, so who knows, we might be able to roll it over until 2022 when we might be able to fly into uh, Uganda again. Okay, well, why bother with mission? Well, if you saw the Facebook post I put up um, last night, it all goes back to Genesis. <laughs> I was thinking of Helen when I, when I wrote the Facebook post because she, she jokes that I always seem to end up back at Genesis. And it's actually not, a, not a, an accident that I often go back to Genesis because the way in which we understand Genesis actually colours the way in which we understand the whole of the Word of God. Genesis literally means a book of beginnings. And I think it's healthy for us to go back to the beginning if we want to get a deep understanding of any aspect of the heart of God. So what is it about the so-called cultural mandate that we find in those early books of Genesis that might motivate us to engage in some kind of mission, be that in our own backyard or further afield as we're focusing on today? Well, you see, and you've heard this from me many times, in Genesis 1, 26 to 27, God delegates royal authority 
to humanity. He says, have dominion. He says, multiply. He says, replenish or fill the earth. And it's about a lot more than simply having babies. Essentially, the heart of God is to see the earth filled with people like him. Not only who are made in his image, but who actually recognise that they are made in his image and have a desire to be his image bearers in the world. We go to Genesis 2 and we see there that God instructed the man Adam to tend the garden, to work in the garden. God declared that it wasn't good for man to be alone. He he couldn't find anything that had already been created that could appropriately fulfil the role of being a partner or companion. Some translations say helpmeet for Adam. And so from Adam, God created Eve. Now, Eve was really special because she wasn't created in the same way that all of the rest of creation was. The Genesis story tells us she was created from the man. And that I don't, I don't think that in any way ought to be understood as giving man some kind of power and authority over, over the woman. What I think it's intended to convey is that we are partners in tending the garden. We're together. So God actually makes us accountable for the way in which we exercise dominion. That happens in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 3, where, of course, we, we read the account of what some call original sin, right? That's where Adam and Eve jointly made that decision to eat the fruit that God had forbidden them to eat because Satan put a question mark in their minds. But as I said to you probably so many times, you're nearly sick of hearing it, one really significant thing in Genesis chapter 3 is the fact that God was in the habit of walking in the garden in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve. So that's about having access to God. So the cultural mandate, three A's, authority from God, accountability to God, and accessibility of God. He's always accessible. That's one of his characteristics. So we have authority. We're accountable for God for the way in which we exercise dominion or authority over all of creation on earth. But we have access to God so that we can um, implement our dominion or use our authority in a way that matches his wisdom. So he doesn't leave us on our own to work it all out. Now, if there was nothing else in the Bible that supported the idea of mission, that would. Because God's intention was for humanity to work in part, humanity being 
man and woman, men and women, to work in partnership with him to tend or develop the garden. God's intention was that the garden would spread to fill the whole earth. And as it did, it would be populated with people who were not only made in his image, but who were dead set, proud to be his image bearers. Right? So that's one reason why we would want to go into the whole of this world and let people know that they're made in his image, that they're image bearers and God wants them to be conscious of it and to be proud of it and to share that with others. That's what we call the cultural mandate. The second that I want, a second scripture I want to refer you to will actually occurs a number of times, at least 20 times, depending on the translation. In the New Testament, Jesus is recorded as saying, follow me, come, follow me. It's an invitation. What we call at Ignite Life Church, the great invitation to follow me. And you know, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, wouldn't we want others to join us? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to go through the trials of life without being a follower of Jesus Christ. Even that on its own should motivate us to take an interest in mission. That the love of God is so big, it's infinitely large actually, that it doesn't matter if the whole world follows Jesus. We all have intimate relationship with him. It doesn't make any difference. In a sense, the more the better. We spread it all around. Come, follow me. It's an invitation Jesus made not just to those disciples, but it's an invitation that holds good across all times and across all cultures and across all circumstances. Why wouldn't we want to invite others to respond to his invitation? Come, follow me. We talked about the three greats here just a few weeks ago. The great commandment to love God that was what Jesus said was the first and greatest and then the second was like it. Love your neighbour as you love yourself. You know, people do all kinds of heroic things for love, don't they? There probably is someone in your own family history who did something heroic for the cause of love. If we love God, wouldn't we want his own desire to come to pass that the earth be filled with people like him? If we love others, wouldn't we want them to join us with him in eternity? Because there's only two things after this life. 
that's eternity with Christ or eternity in the lake of fire. There's nothing in between. If we love people, surely we would want them, surely we would want them to join us with Christ for eternity and not to go into the lake of fire. Then, of course, we come to what most preachers would focus on, and this is the so-called Great Commission. Go into all the world, make or go into all the nations and make disciples, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. I've mentioned this before too. The way I read it, when I, when I look at the whole story that unfolds in the Bible, that the Great Commission is the analogue to the cultural mandate. God's heart has not changed. But you see, this Great Commission was something that Jesus uh, implemented. This is after his resurrection. This is between that time, between his resurrection and his ascension to heaven. This is when he commissions us all to go into all the world, to make disciples of the nations and to baptise in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost. It's a direct commandment. Don't forget he promises, and this is actually, I think this is the, um, yeah, this is the memory verse uh, for this week from the Treasury Project. Not long after this, Jesus says to his disciples, just wait, wait, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And you know, when the Holy Spirit came, those disciples were radically changed. And they became amazing disciple makers. Amazing disciple makers. The church grew very rapidly in those early days despite persecution. And of course, the great apostles like Paul and, and Peter, their message resonates down through the ages. And their lives and what they wrote is still causing people to turn to Jesus today. Isn't that amazing? The great invitation, the great commandment and the great commission, all three of them should point us in the direction of mission. One other thing I will mention that I haven't got on that slide is Matthew 25 verses 31 to 46 talks about the difference between sheep and goat nations. And it's really in relation to the way in which we care for those who are not as well off as we are, those who are in prison, those who are poor, those who are thirsty. And this applies to whole nations. Jesus says the nations will be separated according to whether or not they responded appropriately to those in need. It is a fact, I believe it's a fact, established by history. Not everyone accepts it as a fact, but it is, I believe, a fact which is proven by history that the Christian faith has done more 
than anything else in the whole of human history to create sheep nations. Even today, it is those nations with a Christian heritage that are most active in providing aid in the face of natural disasters. Earthquakes in Turkey and Greece just yesterday or Friday. It's agencies with a Christian heritage and it's countries with a Christian heritage that are the first to offer help. Why is that? Because deep down in our psyche we have an understanding that God loves all people. And although sometimes we might like him to send some to hell, he actually loves them and it's not his desire that any should perish. It's his desire that all should enter the kingdom and have everlasting life with him. But it's our faith. When, when you look at the, the Christian faith as it's expressed and as it unfolds through the whole of the Bible, you can see there's command after command after command to look after the poor. Generally, it is, it's expressed as, as uh, the poor, the widow, the orphan and the sojourner or the foreigner. And largely speaking, it has been Christian nations and Christian organisations that have looked after the poor and the needy. If you look at the history of education, it was started by Christians. Slavery was ended by Christians. Mind you, there are still 94 countries in the world where slavery is not illegal. Just something for you to take home. Still 94 countries in the world where slavery is not illegal. It's sobering, isn't it? But um, the Plimsoll line, some of you, you know what the Plimsoll line is? It's a line around, you, if you see ships, you'll see a line ar- around the, the hull. That's called the Plimsoll line. Christian was named after the guy who introduced the legislation in the British Parliament. His name was Plimsoll. He was a Christian. He saw that thousands and thousands of sailors were dying because greedy ship owners would use virtually unseaworthy ships and overload them and then you know, send them off. Their, their cargoes were insured, so the owners couldn't care less. It was Plimsoll who said, right, we need to define a line on the hull of every ship that says you're not allowed to load this ship so that it will sink into the water below that line or above that line. And we still have Plimsoll lines today, saving the lives of thousands. And, and listen, don't imagine that some entrepreneurs today wouldn't exploit humanity to the extent that they would die. Don't imagine that because the, the human heart, which has not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, is an evil heart. So the influence of the Christian faith is almost immeasurable on societies today. That's not something that should make us proud or arrogant, but I think it should make us reflective that God has been at work through Christians ever since Jesus ascended into heaven. 
and it has made an enormous difference in the world. In fact, some have argued that Christianity is the most civilising force on humanity ever. The most civilising force on humanity ever.